Father, we just, Lord, we take hold of that this morning. And church, wherever you are sitting this morning, wherever you find yourself, would you join with me for a moment and would you just lift your hands? Would you lift your faith this morning in response to God? Because I believe that this morning there are some people that are sitting there and going, I can't see a way through this. I don't know how I'm going to face this week. I don't know how I'm going to face the months to come. But you can sing those words over your situation. You can speak those things out. That even when you don't feel it, He is working. But you can make a decision to respond, to trust Him in these moments. Lord, when we don't feel it, we know that You are working. God, we choose to still honour You. God, we choose to still worship You in this place, in our living rooms, in our bedrooms this morning, in our cars, wherever we find ourselves. We choose to honour the God that makes a way when there is no way, that is not bound by time and space, but is the God of the impossible. We speak that over the situations this morning. You are the God that is working. We feel it working, Lord. We speak it out right now in the name of Jesus. Holy God. Holy God. Oh, Father God. Father, we look to you this morning. Father, we ask that you will speak to us. Lord, that every single person, Father, I pray, will receive something from you. Lord, an encouragement, a word of hope that is going to carry them through. Lord, that is going to remind them that you see them, that you are with them, that you love them, you care for them, you have a plan and a purpose. They are not forgotten, but they are chosen, they are loved, and they are set apart for a great plan and a great purpose. Father, we thank you for that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, team. Hey, it is so good to be here with you this morning. Um, My name's Julia. I'm normally based out at uh, Salwyn campus. Um, They're an awesome crew. I'm missing them so much. I'm so looking forward to when we can gather back together. Salwyn crew, how about you give us like a wee shout out in the messages this morning and just blow that thing up right now with all your emojis. Anyway, who, um, who over this season learned how to use Zoom, right? It's become part of uh, our everyday lives now, and um, we were no different here at work, and um, I had a, had a Zoom meeting set up with Lorraine, and up until this point, I had, um, I had joined meetings, but I hadn't created any of my own. And so I had um, messaged Lorraine, I sent her the invitation and all of those things, and was like, okay, cool, look, we're good to go, we're going to do this, we're going to planning some, some awesome stuff around missions and catching up and chatting about our global missions partners and we're really pumped about it. And then she messages me and goes, hey, um, I'm in the waiting room. It says you have to let me in. And afterwards, I was thinking about it and just, just thought to myself, hmm, I never realized it was a waiting room. I don't know, is anyone else with me? Did anyone else, did anyone else discover that in this time and season? And and just in that moment, I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me. It was one of those things where it was a thought that you know isn't from you, and it just kind of cut straight to your, your core, right? And I just felt him whisper, life is a bit like that. I didn't realize there was a waiting room. Can anyone else relate to that this morning? 
See, and as I started pondering and praying about it and just kind of thinking, and I just sort of had this thought, I was like, man, there are, there are so many waiting rooms we find ourselves in in life, right? Um, you know, we're sitting at the doctors, we're, um, you know, just scrolling and, and chilling and waiting and we're maybe waiting on the test results, waiting for the treatment plan, waiting on the news of our loved one. Or, you know, we find ourselves waiting unexpectedly in other places. The supermarket. Can I, can I get an amen to that? Anyone else? Like, learn the, who's thankful now that there's no lines at the supermarket, right? But, um, you know, where are some other places we end up waiting? Um, in traffic? Anyone else found themselves impatient, patiently waiting in traffic, just full of the grace of Jesus. And, you know, maybe in the office with all the, the new things, you're waiting for people to come out so you can go in on site in the airport. Maybe you're found in quarantine during 40, 14 days by yourself. Um, relationships, maybe you're waiting on weddings because you thought that April was a great time, 2020, to, to plan a wedding. It's all right, we'll, we'll get there, we'll get there. You know, maybe it's fertility treatments that have been delayed during this time. Maybe it's redundancy details. Maybe you find yourself waiting in the funeral home. There are so many places that we find ourselves unexpectedly waiting, right? And as I carried this thought for a few days, I realized that there is a bigger waiting room than all of this. Well, actually, no, hang on, before that, let me, let me backtrack. There was a new one. This is what I thought was interesting. Suddenly there was a pandemic response levels and there was a waiting room or a recovery room, right? And I was like, whoa, hold up, maybe there's something in this, these thoughts that I was kind of mulling over, right? So we can all relate to this feeling of finding ourselves unexpectedly waiting. You know, maybe it's waiting for paperwork to come through, waiting for the phone call, or maybe, like we're all doing at the moment, waiting for numbers to change, waiting for the right circumstances so that we can shift and we can move. But then there is a bigger waiting room that is so much more than that, church. And I want us to talk about it this morning and to remind ourselves a little of it. We live in a present age where the kingdom of God has come to an extent. We live in a space where Jesus was born, lived, died, and was crucified and was resurrected, ushering in a kingdom that we get to be a part of that hasn't yet come in all its fullness. Meaning things have changed, but it's not fully there yet. It's like level two heading to level one, but on a totally different scale. See, this illustration might be helpful for some. It's the picture of the kingdom we are in that is the now but not yet kingdom. You see, we live in this present age where Jesus was born, he lived, he taught, he was crucified, he was resurrected. And in the midst of that, he ushered in 
a new age that came and is the kingdom of God in all its fullness, which is going to carry on forever and ever. But we find ourselves in this middle part, this now but not yet kingdom, where it is here, but it is not here in all its fullness. It is healing, but it is not always healing. Sometimes it's healing on the other side of eternity. Jesus totally changed the way that we are able to interact and connect with God and the Holy Spirit. Then release the authority of a resurrected Jesus to be able to exist within each of our own lives. The fullness of the kingdom, though, will come when Jesus returns and the fullness of his kingdom is ushered into reality and we experience the fullness of the age to come. Now, there's so much about this that can blow our minds, right? Jesus is returning, all of these things lining up, and I don't want to get into that stuff today. I want us to determine that our theology is we're going to be found faithful doing what Jesus asked of us when he returns. But let's be honest, God is not limited by time and space, and a virgin birth in a manger from the line of David with a super bright shining star of it made a lot of people go, hmm, so that's how he worked it out first time round, right? See, the fulfillment of this present age and the coming of the new shouldn't fill us with fear, but instead should stir a deep sense of hope within us. Over lockdown, I was reading through the book of Revelation again and reminded that this book wasn't written to perpetuate fear in people when it speaks of the return of Jesus. It was written in a time when people were living in immense persecution for their faith. And it was to give hope to the people that this wasn't it. Carl shared last week that God writes the final chapter. God gets the final word. This is so true, not just in Job's life, but in all of human history. He gets the final say on how the final chapter is written. There is so much fear around us at the moment that it's important to revisit the reason why we have hope. And the answer truly is Jesus. As we have been working to put Christ again at the center, let's look again at who he was and what does this mean to us. A great place to start is in the Pathway books. If you're exploring or revisiting or wanting to go deeper into finding out who Jesus is, the team will let you know how you can get hold of a Pathway book to read for yourself. One of my favorite quotes written in here is one by C.S. Lewis describing Jesus. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. Yeah. 
But let us not come to any with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. So what were some of these claims that Jesus made about himself? Firstly, Jesus claimed to be God. In John 10 verse 30, I and the Father are one. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up the stones picked up the stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. Which of these do you stone me for? Do you stone me? Jesus claimed to fulfill scripture in John 5 verse 39. You search the scriptures, but you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. Jesus claimed to have come from heaven, John 3 13. No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. Jesus claimed to be sinless, 1 Peter 1.18. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Jesus claimed to be able to forgive sin, Mark 2 verse 5. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. Jesus claimed to be the only way to heaven, John 14, 6. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus claimed to be able to give eternal life, John 6, 40. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them on the last day. Jesus claimed to be the Christ, again, John 14, 6. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. See, Jesus was meant to show us what God was like. In him, we see the image of the invisible God. Looking at his life showed us what God is like and the kind of relationship he wants to have with people and how his kingdom operates. We see this clearly in the life of Peter in the Bible, a disciple of Jesus. He was called by Jesus, inspired by him, challenged by him, witnessed his miracles, and was then filled with fear when asked about Jesus after he was arrested and denied that he knew or was associated with him three times. But then after the resurrection, when it was fully realized Jesus was everything he claimed to be, was restored in his relationship with Jesus, more courageous than ever. The calling, the walking, the miraculous will challenge us, but the resurrection will change us. Put it this way, a revelation of a resurrected Christ will always require a response. Jesus at the center of our lives will change everything about how we see the world. Just last Sunday, in a village in Laos, believers gathered in a tree outside of their village because they are unwelcome together in their own village. It began seven years ago as a young girl, the lowest of the low, her body filled with sickness, was up on the mountains and looked to the sky spirits and cried out to them, if there is something more to this life, then will you show me God? She ended up connecting with some believers who told her who Jesus was. She then went back to her village and told them what she had learned. And now most of the 19 homes 
have at least one believer in them. It's amazing. This number has continued to grow, much to the dismay of the headman, who last Sunday called the police to come on their meeting. They went in and divided them and said, who's a follower of Jesus? They are now being kicked out of their village. Their phones were stolen. Their Bibles were taken. We're still waiting to have contact with them on what happened. But if these people are forced to leave their village, they lose their land, their rice fields, their coffee fields, their veggie fields, land that they have farmed for years as families. They lose their homes. It is not just families. It is a wife who's a believer and a husband who's against it. It's children who are believers and parents who are against it. It is homes being ripped apart. Some of them will lose their citizenship and become stateless. I urge you this week to keep them in your prayers because they will give it all up because they still believe that it is worth it. They're also, the two leaders are being faced with prison. In these prisons, you are reliant on someone else from your family to bring food for you every day because you don't get fed in them. They are not nice places. This is their reality this week. But they will do it because they know that Jesus is worth it. And they know that God will meet them in that place. A revelation of a resurrected Christ will always require a response. On Monday, I heard a man from Shulam, not a real place, but what we call it to protect their identities. A place in a people group that is incredibly oppressed and has no established church and very few Christians. A place that as a church we have partnered with by sending teams and praying for the heavens to open and for people to miraculously find Jesus for the last 15 years. This man found himself in New Zealand having visions of Jesus calling him to a relationship with God. He is one of three that this has happened to in the last few years. Last year, he was baptized and publicly acknowledged his faith in Jesus and now knows that the call on his life is to share the gospel with his people. As he talks, you know that the conviction in his heart is that he will lay his life down for his people to have the opportunity to hear about Jesus. A revelation of a resurrected Christ will always require a response. My friend, the waiting room is bigger than the COVID-19 pandemic. It's bigger than level two. It's bigger than the room or the situation you find yourself in. It's a kingdom that is coming in all its fullness. In this place, we are meant to wait while living with hope, and with excited anticipation, it should shape and change and influence every area of our life. It should change our spiritual posture of how we wait from this to this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Waiting rooms are places that we must be present in if we want to engage with what is next. We may find ourselves unexpectedly waiting in many circumstances, but we can choose to wait with a greater expectancy for what is to come. Jesus also told us the story of a father who found himself unexpectedly waiting. He used it to describe what the love of our heavenly father is like. In Luke 15, he tells of a son who came to his father, taking his inheritance before his time and then setting out on his own adventure. Excited to make his own choices, to build his own life away from his father, his family, and his home. Eventually, the son found himself in a place he never expected to be, cleaning out the troughs of the pigs, hungry and longing for some pods that the pigs were eating. In that moment, he decided that this wasn't what he wanted for his life. From here, there, he began to make his way home, hoping that maybe his father might take him in, give him a job as a hired hand in his house. But as he approached, Jesus tells us that the father had been looking out for him all along. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. He said, for the son of mine is dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. My friend, if you are joining with us this morning, if you have somehow found yourself watching this, there is a God who loves you more than you can ever possibly believe. He has always been looking out for you. I don't know what your circumstances are or have been, but I can tell you there is a God who created this universe and each of us with the desire to be able to enjoy the creation he made and see his fingerprint upon it. His desire was for us to always have enough time to explore all of it as he enjoyed sharing it with us with no sense of shame or separation. But love is not love if there is no choice, and so God gave us the choice to know the difference between both good and evil. And so in every generation, humanity has made the decisions again and again to hurt each other, to hurt ourselves, to hurt creation, and to hurt God to the extent that we could not fix, undo, or mend it by ourselves anymore. But God, waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, was always at work. Even when we didn't see it, he was working. When we didn't feel it, he was working. He never stopped working. He never stopped being faithful. He never stopped being trustworthy. He never stopped being true. He never stopped pursuing. God has always been making a way for us to see restoration in our relationship with him, with others, with ourselves, and with creation. In Jesus, we see his great love for humanity. In Jesus, we see how the king leads his kingdom. He doesn't just ask for our hearts, but for our allegiance to him. The implication is that he is God, that he fulfills scripture, that he came from heaven, was sinless, and was able to forgive sin, was the only way to heaven, and was able to give eternal life, and was the Christ culminated in his resurrection because a madman couldn't raise himself from the dead. A revelation of a resurrected Christ 
will always require a response. As the team come back this morning, let's take a few moments to determine what our personal response to him will be. We can wait with complacency or we can live with a deep sense of hope, partnership and excited anticipation of the fullness of the kingdom that is to come. Father, I pray this morning that we can run into your presence as the Son ran into the arms of the Father. I pray we will long for the day we get to see Jesus face to face. But until that day, we will wait with faithful anticipation and pray your kingdom will come and your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven.